We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do things at Freethink. We yeah, we're still we're still around. It's still a thing. Despite all of the, the craziness, the COVID maelstrom. Um I I think I mentioned that I do a lot of important things there. Usually I do. I'm generally kind of vague about this, but whatever. Um, I am delighted to be with you. Also joined by some remarkable human beings. And, just, and I, I want to just say that I, I respect and admire them. Uh, and by them, I'm referring to Matt Welch, editor at Large Reason Magazine. He's a dear friend who's who's made it. I'm grateful for you being here. Uh, Michael Moynihan, who is somewhere, and I, it's weird to always know where people are. You see them on camera, and you can you know just Scowling. observe those facts. Hello, Michael Moynihan of Vice News. I mean, I, I told you at the beginning that it's absolutely wow. none of your business. That and that is... should be enough for you, Camille. None of wow. your that, business. I made, <laughs> I made a couple of, of references to the Indigo Girls, to Super Outbacks, to WNBA. <laughs> and you were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know what? Do some research. Welcome to hint, the hint. culture, Camille. Hint, hint, hint. hint. Um, yes. And speaking of which, <laughs> and, we, and we do have a guest today, a guest who who is here, um, who is here to apologize for for besmirching her most favorite podcast. She wants to apologize to us and all of you. Mm-hmm. Barry Weiss, ladies and gentlemen of the New York Times, mm-hmm. opinion columnist, fan favorite, friend of the fifth, as they say. Barry, not back. best friend you? of the fifth. Well, no, no. I mean, maybe Whoa. one day we'll, we'll have a place in her heart close to Eric Weinstein's yeah. portal or Red Scare. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. one day we'll be as good as them. Maybe one day. Oh, I couldn't sleep. Sure. Yeah. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't either. Yeah. You guys are my number one. I, we believe you. We believe you. Well, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. well, the, the paper. Are my actual <laughs> the paper of record. But Michael's familiar with the paper with of record says different. It says that we are not even number four. We might be number five. Wow. But the wow. word count was like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're just not autistic enough. <laughs> I'm going to release a apology mm-hmm. in the realm of Alison Roman uh, and uh, the internet amen. can decide. Hey, you know, you uh, are not allowed to talk about this because it has to do with your employer or something, but I don't, oh, I God. just, I just looked into that because I was, I was trying to figure out what was going on and I looked into it and I still don't know what's going on and that can't be what I think it is that uh, she was mean to that girl that everyone for a moment thought was funny and then realized wasn't funny um, and is really annoying on, on Twitter. And she said she's kind of annoying and then she lost her job. But isn't the whole point of Twitter to say that everybody's horrible and annoying? But why is that the one, the line that we can't cross? You can't say anything. I know. Matt. No, not just Chrissy Teigen, Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Oh. Mm. Oh, 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 this is it. Because, oh, this is it. This is it. Because I saw something, because we have to make it 2020, because uh, otherwise nobody gives a shit. And it was, uh, the first thing that I saw was like, oh, you're really attacking uh, strong Asian women. And I yeah. was like, wait, what? I saw that there were like two strong Asian women. I'm like, what are you serious? Like, 
Is this a real? That's a classic thing that racists do. They wake up in the morning and like, who am I going to go yeah. after today? <laughs> it's the strongest. I think I got some strong yeah. Asian women. <laughs> yeah. Just gonna. I gotta go really the hell take afterwards. down. Uh, I got so many tweets out there making fun of Tokyo Rose. I gotta take those off the internet. As the, as Reason Magazine, circa 1976, would point out, Michael unjustly accused. Unjustly, to, to, unjustly to, accused. Tokyo Rose. <laughs> yeah, unjustly accused. A hero. Uh, so, the, uh, in America. the Maoist self-apology in that case that we will not talk about in deference to <laughs> Barry Weiss um, uh, is was just incredible. Like the the like, oh my, I, I'm sorry, it was my privilege talking kind of thing. But, you know, I should have realized that. I do think it's interesting to compare what happened in that situation versus the same week, Lana Del Rey, who just refused. She was just like, nope, Lana, I'm not. Lana going. Del Rey is kind of a G. I, I, she earned a tremendous amount of respect from me. Um, and I like that. I like that. You yeah, can I don't know me. why the, the all right was all into Twi- Taylor Swift. I should be into her. <laughs> <laughs> Not only does she release the best album of 2019, I think without question. Is that uh, true? Norm, Norman fucking Rockwell. It's an, it's a, it's a remarkable album. Like all huh. the stuff that people are saying about that other gal's album, the one who was on her, in her house in Venice beach for eight years. Um, you know who I'm talking about. I'm just uh, brain freezing right now. Uh, who? No. No. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, what's her face with the big eyes. Um, uh, <laughs> Billy Eilish, Dua Lipa. I'm just naming things. Billy Eilish is like five, right? Uh, no, it's the gal who did the thing. Uh, we'll, we'll edit all out. <laughs> yes, um, Matt. Um, Matt, you always you we, always strike me we'll as really hip that. with the music and hip with what the kids <laughs> yep. are talking about when you talk about gals. Yeah, the gal was a pin. Typically assigned. But yeah, no, uh, the Lana Del Rey didn't give even a, a single fuck because she had um, uh, referenced a bunch of singers who are successful and black and talking about the way that they're talking about their sexuality. And she expressed a certain amount of envy. And people were like, wow, racist. She's like, no, they're my favorite singers. And I think mm-hmm. it's awesome. And I want to do that too. Fuck you. Well, yeah. well to, to, to get into almost immediately at Barry's uh, uh, behest. So we're going from the, no, the safe territory of Alice and Roman to the even safer territory of, of the lady in the Karen's in the Ramble. The, yeah, Karen's. <laughs> when I was a kid, it was my favorite book, Karen's in the Ramble. Uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, I was. Tale of Two Parents. Yes, I actually like uh, that. Bernstein Bears, Karens and the Ramble, um, <laughs> Song of the Karens. I think it was, yeah, Song of the Karens. Which <laughs> is actually well, the, under, the thing, underrated film. Underrated yeah, film. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the thing about that is that is that Lana Del Rey and these people is that you can be brave if you have money. The yeah, only thing that's enough required money. is yeah. money. You have money. Yeah. Joe Rogan can do, and we'll talk about Barry's piece, can do whatever the fuck he wants because he already had money, but now he has even more money. He's got a lot of money. So, you know, Chris Rock can do what he wants. Chappelle can do what they want. Kind of Louis even can do what they want because they have money. And mm. you know what? You know who, who can't and doesn't have any money? That lady that probably used to have money because she worked at, at like a hedge fund and now doesn't have a job because she is um, apparently a Karen. And I'm going to throw this out there to everyone because I know everyone has strong opinions of this. Isn't the Karen in this situation the dude who is calling the cops because 
The guy, okay. the woman doesn't have her dog on a leash. Can we, no, can no, no. we, can we establish some facts? Can we establish some facts? He did not call the cops. So let's go through yeah, the let's, TikTok. Let's, let's, let's he establish was like some filming facts. because the dog wasn't on a leash, which strikes me, but I know about let's the establish, Let's Karen, like, establish some facts. Let's establish some facts because it's not clear yeah. that he was filming before. <laughs> before. I'm just a country lawyer. Let's <laughs> just, just lay it out there. So it sounds like on Memorial, a Memorial Day weekend, uh, two two Karens were out in the park. They both have the same last name, but they were not together. One Karen decided that she would take her dog off of the leash in the brambles, an area of the park where dogs are not the supposed ramble. to be off, the <laughs> off, of, off of the leash in an area where the dog should not have been off the leash, but she decides to break the rules anyhow. Another Karen, this Karen is apparently Batman. Uh, sees <laughs> this egregious crime taking place and simply cannot stand the injustice. And he confronts her. He bravely risks his life and he confronts her because he is an avid birder and he's wearing binoculars. He's a grown ass man wearing binoculars to look at birds in the park <laughs> on a holiday. He's by himself. This is weird. He's just, a, he's a weirdo and he's harassing this woman. He says, Hey, your dog should be on a leash. And there is a transcript. We know what happened because he wrote a transcript well, that for was us his, and posted way, it to just Facebook. To be, clear, it, to be clear, it's his transcript. Yes, I he think wrote it. I actual transcript. The first one was like, fuck you, birder. Like, what do you think you're doing? Like, get out of here. Fucking that, that, may have been, that may have been how she responded. I can only imagine. Dogs like, off the leash. Yeah. Oh, my God. So he, Everyone he in New York insists, used to be punk rock. <laughs> so he insists that she should put dog. the dog on a leash. She refuses. The situation escalates and it begins to escalate when he, in confronting her, says to her, fine, if you're going to do what you want to do, I'm going to do what I want to do and you (laughs) are not going to like it. He's going to poison the dog. (laughs) And then he pulled out dog He's going to poison the dog. (laughs) Pulling out dog treats that he carries, these are his words on Facebook, for just such yeah. intransitive. Which is insane. Yes. Now that, that, that if yes. Which is insane. That's an insane. Which is, yeah. it, I mean, and this is why I say he's Batman. Because he has, a util, he has a utility belt. He has a utility belt. Ranger Rick, Ranger, Ranger Rick of the Central Park, Park Rangers Auxiliary was on the scene and he was prepared to give this dog some treats. He says, come here, puppy. <laughs> the dog, she, she, Karen, Karen number one responds, he's not going to come to you. And he says, we'll see about that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it is at this moment, apparently, according to Karen number two, the avid birder, uh, that the video (laughs) begins to roll that we've all seen at this point. And if you haven't seen this video, we'll stop here so you can go watch it and come back. Okay, so you've seen it. Yeah. yeah, What do we say now? What do we say now is the first thing is that... um, I, I'm guessing that those treats were like fucking shishito peppers. You know, like one of them's really hot. Like one of them probably had poison in it. And he's like, I don't know. Maybe he's going to get it. Maybe he's not. But like, who knows, Karen? And she's like, there's a birding male Karen. Like, and then everyone's like, you know, he went to Harvard. I'm like, you guys handing out treats to random dogs. And the first thing I think about is like, I wonder what Ivy League school he went to. And if he did, I bet he's normal. You know, Ted Kaczynski went to Harvard. And I'm sure he poisoned a few dogs, too. I don't know, first of all, that he was going to poison the dog. I think no, that you don't. Is spec- it's purely speculation on my part. But the thing, <laughs> the thing that is absolutely true 
is that the whole thing is kind of fucking weird. And the, the thing that no one is pointing out about this beyond the fact that like he's actually the Karen and all of this, and we can get to the fact that that's the dumbest word and that we have to retire it already. Um, is that like, this used to be New York behavior. People are assholes. And they'd be like, what? No, no, this is New York behavior. I mean, most of us don't film it. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. It used to be because you can't do it anymore because now it's like Orwellian that there's a camera over your shoulder and you're going to get caught. I can't yell at anybody in the car anymore. I, it's, it's, it's not changing my behavior for the better. It's making it worse. It's, it's, everyone's, it's everyone's a little stasi. Yeah. That's a reality yes. now. Yes. So here's yes. the question. Now, is it, wait, I just wait, oh, one critical thing was left out, although I guess I was, people have seen I was getting ready to I was getting ready to ask about the the calling of the police and the Well, she's calling the police and she I I believe having now looked a little bit into her social media uh-huh. history thanks to the internet Dazi sleuths who unearthed all of it. <laughs> she seems a little unhinged mm-hmm. yes. and when she calls the police, she 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 says that this African-American man is like attacking her. Right. right? Am I right? Yes. She, she informed him before she called the police. I'm going to call the police and I'm going to tell them an African-American man African-American is threatening man. my life and my dog's life. Um, and she calls the police and she does exactly that. What, what I found most comical about this, because initially, before you realize that this woman is just ruined her life that there will be the period before this miserable stupid encounter and the awful global ignominy that she will live under for the rest of her life um what's most funny is when he responds to her please call the police please call the police twice and at the end of the video (laughs) the second best part is when he says thank you she having completed the call on video said explicitly that this is an African-American man, which apparently is a racist phrase, and given him all that he needed, apparently, to post something wonderful to the internet and become famous, sainted perhaps, as the man protecting the parks of New York City. So the real question here is, is Karen number one racist? And how many awards should Karen number two get? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so first of all, did we say that Karen number one was fired from her job and, and her dog was surrendered? Yeah, yes, she, yeah. Coffers- she coughed it up. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- her I former- think that, that she was forced to do that. Yeah. 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 Her, from- and her she was, former and she was, employer yeah. called, um, posted, um, and explicitly <laughs> said that she was a racist and we don't allow racists to work around here. And yes, her dog, she was well, forced to surrender this, it. The question is. The question is, is calling the police on a block, like the, the most generous argument for the other side is if you call the police on a black person, especially a black man in a city like New York, you are necessarily putting them in a dangerous position or even a life threatening one. Do you guys buy that? No, I, I think that when you call the police on anyone, you are putting them in a potentially life threatening situation, but you're also not putting them in a life threatening situation which is to say that there are a lot of odds in this world uh, and lots of things can happen. And people in New York and cops in New York, and there's there's tens of thousands of cops in New York. They will use force. They will make errors. They will engage in their own force issues, their own racist issues if they have them, et cetera. Um, so it's always a roll of the dice. We uh, at some point I confessed uh, calling uh, cops on uh uh, kids out in front of our uh, uh, place here who were uh, getting into a big street fight here. They happened were these, to be black. Were these African-American kids? Yeah, they had black skin, Camila, as I teach my kids. <laughs> um, 
the big problem is just don't call the cops on anyone. Like I was a, a bit of a Karen from calling the cops on on uh, some kids. It was mostly just like break up the disturbance. Don't don't like go and go and arrest them. But like if you can't handle your day to day annoyances in a city like New York without either calling the police who have this preponderance of force or calling social media um, to like come in on your side on this side, um, you've you failed at being an adult human being. You had two people in a place. You can work that out. You can work that out in the New York way, which is yell the shit out of you at each other. Right. It's it's the middle of coronavirus. Everyone is on edge. I was talking with my wife about this. She was at the park with our five year old. I think it was. Um, and uh, and, you know, there's a lake and and some helpful guy will like wanted to give uh, her, you know, like uh, the, some kind of pellets to feed fish or squirrels. We're in the middle of, of coronavirus. It's like, uh don't touch me with your thing that was in your hand. Like everyone is huh. sort of like this. Is that, right? is that what she said, Matt? Don't touch me with the thing in your hand. That's what I, she know, said. Th- I'm not sure it's exactly the uh, direct uh, uh, <laughs> verbatim uh, transcription, but like okay. you have to be able to figure out in the city of New York without calling the damn cops. That is a, that's yeah. an absolute fool, yeah. stupid move. Granted, when you do call the cops, what are the first thing that they're going to say is, Describe the person that you're talking about. So you're going to make a physical they, they, description. They, they, always, they, they actually always say the same thing. They say, describe the person you're talking about. Is he white? Is he black? Is he Hispanic? They always say that with those things but afterwards. Is, is there, I, I is there that, nothing about the way that she said African-American? To, and I, I pose yeah, it to all of no, you as a question yes. because no one expects it from me. Uh, is there anything about the way she said it that made it clear that she intended for bad things to happen to him because he's African-American? Or thought that mentioning his African-Americanness would be bad for him. Well, I think that she thought it would scare him, right? Because yeah. the idea about, about the relationship between, you know, black men in particular and the police mm-hmm. is one that when they show up on the scene, they're going to fuck you up. In the most extreme thing she can say in that moment in pointing out that I'm going to tell them that you're black is like, you know how racist the cops are. When they mm-hmm. get here, they're going to think you're fucking guilty. And mm-hmm. it's not even I mean, is she being racist? Yeah, probably, I guess. I don't know. But what but what she's what she's absolutely doing is saying that the police are racist and they're gonna treat you unfairly and I'm gonna tell them that you're black and they'll get here immediately because they're racist. So I mean, I don't even know like if she is herself properly racist. The weird thing is that her her company Wait, company, did- by the way, is like making they typically make HR decisions and they don't do that in Publicly public and yeah. tell people tape put them on Twitter like that's not an HR department thing to do, but yeah, I don't know. I just, guys, guys, did did the Minneapolis police killing of I think his name is George Floyd? Mm-hmm. Did that come before or after this? Like, was that the background to the way we re- we saw the Karen and they they were both being reported on the same day, um, and I know yeah. that because okay. on the morning shows, um, it was uh, not the morning shows. Who is it? Uh, Gail King. Uh, who said that? Who is it, Gail King? Like you don't know. Her no, name. I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, but it, yes, Gail King, who said explicitly that she was very disturbed by these two stories being in the block that that obviously illustrate the horrible racism of America. And she said about the two stories that it feels like it's open season on black men, that it is unsafe to be a black man in an, in America today, which struck me as among the most hysterical, outrageous, and nonsensical things um, I'd heard 
uh, until I heard various other things said, including Ice Cube suggesting that it's probably time to start murdering police officers in retaliation for their carrying out a campaign of genocide against black people. Which Wait, Ice Cube's should, talking about have, killing cops? Weird. Again. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't realize he didn't realize he wasn't Ice T. That's Ice T's job, not his. But yeah. like one, one did, way of thinking. Did you guys did you guys watch the Minneapolis video? I did not. No, I have no I interest okay. in seeing it. I've seen so many miserable cop snuff videos. And and honestly, there's something slightly disturbing um about the proliferation of the video. I don't think most people are doing it with any sort of malevolent sensibility, but I, I wonder about a world where we don't think twice about reposting snuff films. We just kind of casually do it. Uh, we don't know anything about the circumstance, the person's name. It just, it feels weird to me. Um, and it definitely mm. feels as though I can comment on the broad strokes of police involved um, civilian deaths and why it's a problem and what we ought to do about it in general without watching that particular piece of footage it, to the extent I can avoid it. It keeps getting served to me. And in many cases is auto playing. And, and, you know, to, to, you know, Gail King's point, I didn't see it, but, but these two events, uh, one is an event. The other one isn't, um, mm. you know, a New Yorker is having a fight over a dog and <clears throat> her saying the word African-American in this is what I'm going to do. The It's, gross and almost every interaction that i've ever had in new york that's escalated to that level has had some gross element to it someone calling me something me calling somebody something you know it's just that people get out of control that way the you know who can't get out of control are the cops and i think the problem is when you see this as an escalation in an ongoing war against a particular element of a particular community rather than you know look i made this comparison on the patreon and I, to, to something else. And I think it stands here, too. The way people talked about terrorism after 9-11, when there'd be a series of, you know, bombs going off in various places, suicide bombings, you know, pizza shops going up, you know, these kind of we're going to have another intifada type thing. And if you were to say the Muslim war on blank, you would be called out very quickly. And I mean, almost rightfully so for saying that, hey, this is a very small subsection. When you look at the greater picture of 1.6 billion people. This is not representative. This is, these are the things that get headlines and they're important, but let's not say that this is a civilizational war. Let's not say that Samuel Huntington was right. Let's, I mean, we all remember this. Remember these, and you can have a, a conversation about that and whether or not that was right or the right way of looking at it. But now I feel a lot of the same people are flipping it around and saying with evidence of individual, you know, I mean, in a way atrocities, I mean, to put your knee on somebody's neck like that and arrest and kill them is not easy. And it is especially not yeah. easy when you have, have a man that's that big and strong. You have to, you have to do it. Mm. And you can't like, oh my God, what happened? That's not a what happened moment. <laughs> that guy should not be fired from the force. He should be put in jail as far as from what I can see. But I don't know. Who knows? We'll see what else comes out. But that seems to me the cops acting like criminals. To take it to the next level, to say this is part of a concerted campaign you know, when we are a nation of 330 million people, there's, you know, uh, the, the two cops that got that are involved in that arrest. One wasn't white, by the way. Um, I mean, so that, I guess, complicates matters and, a bit. But, you know, like, look, I, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's kind of premature to go out in the streets and just say this. It, we are being hunted. I don't I don't believe that. 
I think there's- and I don't, and just, to, I'm just saying this, you can say like, oh, you know, you don't know what it's like white boy to understand, which by the way is a really disingenuous argument. It means you can never have a conversation about race unless you're a member of the race uh, that uh, we're talking about because you don't know, you can't possibly have this experience. But what I can do, it, it, just allowing that, I can look at the numbers and say, is this something that is an epidemic? And, you know, what did it look like in 1975 in Detroit? Um, which is, and these are times when there was like almost all white police forces and they did feel like occupying armies in black neighborhoods. Whereas, you know, most forces like the New York force, the Baltimore force, the Chicago force are majority minority police forces now. And, and the thing's quite different. So I don't know, but, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's, you know, makes me nervous talking. We have too much uh, police violence in this country compared to other countries, compared to our level of violence. Uh, that the that the police are, are uh, going against there's there's some kind of lopsided disproportionate amount of net force and net firepower on the cop side i think there's probably a lopsided amount of prosecutorial immunity and other kind of ways in which the police can get away or the whole law enforcement apparatus can get away with acting badly without uh, uh paying the price for it in a lot of jurisdictions sometimes under uh blue lives matter laws um you know if the cop is involved in uh, there's an officer involved shooting that kills somebody like the first thing that happens is that he usually it's a he and gets sequestered for 30 days and doesn't get talked i mean there's a lot of just banana stuff that just doesn't sm pass the smell test so that's one uh basic backdrop around things one that tells you please don't call the cops on random situations that you could easily resolve as an adult human being that doesn't require a cop, uh, which is not. But that's that observation is much different than the super easy, casual observation that happens every single day during these and, and, and other uh, uh, moments of high tension and understandable high tension in the case of the Minneapolis or Minnesota case, um, which is to say that when you call the cop against a black guy, you are um you know, potentially sentencing him to death or like or the, that this is this is an act of deliberate violence because, you know, that the cops are racist. That is mm -hmm. imbuing so much supposition that there's just standard workaday active violence among big city police forces in this country. And I say this as someone who grew up looking at seeing interacting with racist cops and that has created an indelible image in my mind that makes me on the opposite side of Camille or the other side of Camille on a lot of these kind of conversations. So know that as a backdrop. But to assume that all cops are in New York City are racist is is jackassery. You are you are absolutely putting violent words and thoughts and deeds in the in the minds of people. That just ain't so. And it's just ain't so in a police force. That is what, 30 percent white now, 40 percent, maybe 50, depending on how you, you define white anymore. Um, that's a bit lazy to me. That said, also, I'm not sure I can substitute any, you know, Colin Quinn ethnicity besides African-American in Karen number twos. Are we calling her two or one? Um, uh, her uh, initial phone call, like I'm going to tell the cops that an Asian-American man is menacing me. Or an Asian American woman is menacing me. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that there would have been that emphasis too. So there is something mm -hmm. a, a queer about it all. Um, long story short, 
You don't need to call authorities or sick the entire mob on people just for being in a goddamn dog park in Central Park, which, by the way, 25 years ago, no one would have walked into anyways unless they were intent on committing a murder. What Camille is what Camille is about to say, because I'm going to force him to talk about this at some length, is whatever it is, because, you know, I know Camille's we've been talking about this um, the past couple of days um, on on text on text chains and the rest of it. But I find the thing about this conversation um, and I, all of these conversations, the thing I find so troubling about it is that there is a cutoff. And I think a lot of an age cutoff, but I think a lot of people above this age cutoff are now conforming themselves to what the people below this age cutoff think. But I guarantee you that, I mean, I talk to young people who, you know, college graduates, well-educated, you know, come from privileged backgrounds and have good media jobs. Under a certain age, they cannot even countenance the argument that there's some complication here. I mean, if you were to say to people that it is not a de facto act of violence to call the police in a situation like that. It's an act of stupidity. It's an act of, you know, just crass, like just deal with it the way that New Yorkers used to do. Everybody's got their phones either filming or calling. Just leave the phones at home. You know, as Johnny Cash said, right? Leave those guns at home. Just leave them at home. And this wouldn't happen. It'd be a different, different thing. This stuff happened. I think even, I think even the notion that suggesting that the man in this situation is a Karen is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, blasphemy to the group you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, I I find Mm -hmm. it like, wait, are you serious? I've never had a, a substantive conversation with people like this because it never, they just cannot, they're incredulous that like, no, no, there's a war going on and you're, you don't get it because of your privilege and the rest of it. And to have a nuanced conversation about this in the kind of media sphere the, the, these, these days is totally impossible to say, even like, wait, maybe this guy was acting like, try saying that on Twitter. What percentage, this is a question, honest question. It's not about people on the right, the left, the center, libertarians, conservatives, liberals, progressives, whatever. What percentage of people f- saw that video and was like, yeah, but, you know, this guy's kind of being a jackass and didn't tweet that? I, I would say about 70% of the people I know, they wouldn't tweet it. They never would. Never. Why? What's the purpose? You're going to get dragged and you're going to be accused of things that you're not, that, that aren't you. You're not, you know. This is why I'm, this is why I'm. Well, this is why I'm, we don't have to go there now because I want to hear Camille on this, but this connects directly to why I'm fascinated with Joe Rogan and why I think mm. he's eating everyone's lunch. But I actually, I really want to hear Camille on, on this. See, now I don't even know what to say. Y'all did all the talking already. We did, we, we've, mm. we've, we've run this thing through, haven't we? Finished. No, you know what? The, the, first, the first thought I had um, when I discovered the transcript because I was, I was casually, not casually, I was deliberately ignoring most of these narratives most of the day. Like I, I caught on that they were happening and I just was like, this is so stupid. This is so idiotic. Um, I, I was confident that there was more to the story. I even took about two and a half seconds to try to find the full video, um, but I, I didn't try very hard. Um, but when I finally discovered the transcript of that he provided of the conversation that they had at the park, the bits where he's threatening her, you know, just one, one might feel weird about me saying threatening, but there is obviously something being intimated. You're not going to like it. We'll see about that. Ellipse is added by him. Um, 
I wondered one, if he would have tried that shit with me, if he had saw me with my <laughs> dog in the park. And my presumption is that he wouldn't have because he's probably not the sort of chap that's actually looking for a fight. He's looking for people who he feels that he can casually intimidate and have uh, an encounter with and perhaps scare them into behaving in the right way. But if he saw me with my 80 pound dog out there off leash, I think he probably would have kept walking, looked for birds elsewhere, which led me to my second thought, which is if he'd said that to my wife and I'd been in the same zip code, like what would have happened then? And I imagine I probably wouldn't have called the police, but there's a high probability that we would have had an altercation and I would have put him on his ass because that's pretty unacceptable. To the woman herself, was she being racist when she suggested that she was going to call the police and say that this man, an African-American, is threatening my life? No one will like this. I don't know. Um, It's certainly possible. I'll even give it a strong possibility. What she wasn't doing, on the other hand, though, was actually saying it. She didn't call him any names, and she certainly wasn't lying. He had just threatened her. Did he threaten her life? No, he told her, I'm going to do something to you that you won't like. And when he was calling her dog over and she asked him not to, he didn't stop. We'll see about that. These are two people who are kind of being assholes, one of whom is breaking <laughs> the rules of the park, which is fairly typical. I've done it. Um, <laughs> the other who is. I do it all the time with my dog, because, by the way, all the dog runs are closed. Yeah. Right now. Are they really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like a crucial part of sure. it. Like everyone's breaking rules right now. All throughout yeah. the park. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, I, like everyone in the park. She was Karen earlier today. She hadn't, she like took our dog to the part that everyone has kind of decided is the informal dog wow. room. And it was a lot of, a lot of white women. And they were all staring at each other. Hoping no Negroes would walk by with binoculars. <laughs> don't laugh. Don't laugh when I say Negroes. I'm going to have to edit that out so no one can hear. But you know, um, the, the thing that I, I thought was amazing was this video that somebody dug up and posted of, of uh, Karen number two being interviewed in the park talking about birds. And they were like, this is what's his name? Something Cooper. Yeah. I Christian. So they're both. Chris, yeah. Christian. Christian. Yeah. Like this is Christian Cooper. And I watched the video. I'm like, yeah, she's a dude talking about birds. Yeah. And, I, and then I, I sent it to you, Camille. I was like, this mm-hmm. is racist, the way no, that everyone's retweeting this. Yeah, yeah. It is actually racist. Because they're like, the, the implication from all these like blue check marks on Twitter is like, see, he's, he's not even a scary black guy. Yeah. He's a black guy that talks like me. And, and, look and at he him. went to Harvard. <laughs> and he went to Harvard. Can you believe it? He's a black guy. And he went to Harvard. I'm like, you guys are fucking racist. This is like insane, the way that you guys are talking about this. And like I, I'm like, am I missing out here? Because yeah. I just yes, saw this. you didn't like, go to Harvard. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm missing out on a lot of things in life, Matt. And that's just I, one of the I ones do. that I don't care about. The story is is frivolous, and in many respects, it it it's offensive to me that it's become not merely national news, which it was initially, but international news because it's being <laughs> covered in papers across the world. Um, it's absurd that it's reached that level. I don't think it's absurd, however, for anyone who wants to scream hypocrisy to discuss our obsession with race and our determination what? to find racism absolutely everywhere and to quickly adjudicate it no matter the consequences. 
and to feel okay about a circumstance where this woman, the most consequential decision that she's probably made in her entire life was to strap on some yoga pants to take her dog to the <laughs> damn park and to let him off leash. Like that's Literally, crazy. Everybody, everybody it's in America crazy. is just wearing yoga pants now. And that's the only good thing about the pandemic. This is <laughs> I just, I, I, it's um, not good for me. It's not, it's not a good look on all. Yeah, 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 yoga <laughs> pants are always good for everybody. I, well, that's, that's, no, it's not, not true. Always true. That is but, not you know, true. Just, no, it's not. No, I've yeah, seen some I'm crimes to, against I, humanity. Moynihan. <laughs> I'm trying to, Camille, I'm trying to empower women. Don't do that. Don't, don't empower everyone. I don't care what gender I'm they joking. are. Some of, some of them you cut want to encourage them to do the right thing. People get that it's a joke and they'll no. be a Yes, no. do not don't cut it out. Okay, all right, fine. I so, just want for the record, just, Michael Moynihan keeps pussing out and calling for things to be cut out. Yeah. It will not be cut out. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. If you'd like Keep the unedited one. version. But uh, yeah, well, the other... This is a piece that uh, that I just wanted to read you the headline on. It's from a newspaper on on in America on on the stands <laughs> and on the internet and on the stands. On the stands is the newspaper stand. You can go buy it, okay, dollars or whatever. But right. it's a paper and yeah. it's, it comes in a paper format. Got it. And in that paper tomorrow, there's a headline. It says an opinion section: a white damsel leveraged racial power and failed. No, um, that's not what happened. Uh, that's not what happened at all. But I want to say that this is the great thing about the new normal that we live in with all these, you know, batty views becoming mainstream is that th this person is Ruby Hamad. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's not my privilege showing. It's just I'm, I'm bad with names. Miss Hamad is the author of White Tears, Brown Scars, How White Feminism betrays women of color just give up white feminists you're ruining it for everybody <laughs> wow. so that that kind of book it seems to me like in america kind of a fringe idea right it's kind of like maybe 0.01 percent of people think that that's kind of a normal uh worldview but because of the time we live in and where where the the normal uh political sort of sensibilities of americans and all sides of the political debate are represented disproportionately by crazy people because the people that are spreading those arguments and editing those arguments and commissioning those are themselves crazy and have themselves have bad ideas. So it's just like so funny how this tiny, tiny percentage of people who went to like annoying private liberal arts colleges come out and then just run the tables on how the debate is. And mostly that happens because we're too terrified to, to say like, no, I'm too terrified to say like, the, the the title of your book is ridiculous and you are a you are a nonsense person that is a nonsense but, person would write a book like that sorry but it's true but the terror you feel like the the reason that you know probably your most interesting ideas are the things that you would t text us and never put on the internet uh -huh. is like the reason that all of this stuff keeps getting replicated of course it's because we all know this. It's like the same story inside basically every liberal, you know, capital L or whatever institution, mm. old time liberal institution, which is that a small but passionate faction basically holds the higher ups who are sort of sensible liberals hostage. Oh, they, the they tell you too. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, but this is the same story that's just getting replicated over and over and over again. Probably the most powerful example being when David Remnick was supposed to be on stage with Steve Bannon at the New Yorker Ideas Festival and basically published a hostage letter 
um, because his rather than firing all of his employees that were calling him a fascist for doing so, he caved to them. Mm. And at that point, you know, he was no longer editor of the New Yorker. I had you know, and those people are at the editors. I would like just just to interject that that I totally forgot about this absolutely shameful episode about one of America's great journalists, right? Like I I disagree with David Remnick a thousand times, but like Lenin's tomb is an incredible book. The guy's got, the guy has a a pedigree and he's been editing a a quality magazine for a long time. And yeah, that's exactly that. Uh, Jeffrey Goldberg went through his own phases of that at the Atlantic when he had the temerity to hire Kevin Williamson for six and a half days or whatever it was. And, And more recently, and more recently when he was, when he hired, Rahm Emanuel is a contributing editor or contributing writer. And then that went away. Why did that go away? I even forgot about that one too. There, there are zillions of these. Like the, the huge, enormous institutional story is the hostage taking that's happening. And it's, it's the exact same fear that all of us have felt on whatever subject. And it, to my mind, whoever has the courage to just say, no is going to end up winning because I don't like, I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway, there's just so much. The, the, the story of the youngs, the, sorry, the young wokes. I won't even say the youngs. Cause I guess I'm technically You're young, part of the youngs. Yeah. The young wokes versus the, the essentially the masthead, but especially mm-hmm. straight white men who want to prove their with it and their liberal bona fides it's just a disaster over and over again inside all of the, uh, the hostage note genre within there or subgenre within that thing is something to, to be seen. We, we referenced one earlier um, uh, uh, here about a, a newspaper in Manhattan that went through that with one of their critics. Um, but like the, the Remnick thing, the Jeffrey Goldberg thing um, and the one that, that actually changed my mind on this, uh, on this issue to some degree which was when uh, Moynihan uh, with uh, Vice Crew went and followed the um, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying uh, debacle out in uh, Evergreen Street University. Um, like when you see the people recite the hostage note, that that gives you a vi- an audio visual that's just different, right? Than than just sort of like reading it on the page. Somehow, when yeah. you see them do that, and you could see the terror and insincerity that. That okay. suddenly becomes yeah. sincere because you, we've always been at war with East Asia or whatever. When when you see that that switch <laughs> happens, it is absolutely terrifying, and you you have to uh, spend a half a second like wondering what happens to me w- when that comes to me, and it's not going to really. And that's kind of part of the, the I think the broader point that you're getting to, Barry, and it's a good one, which is that. This stuff is is kind of self-evidently crazy, even regardless of how much it's marching through the liberal institutions, most notably. And this hasn't really been covered to a degree because all of us are failures uh, uh, in our in our own <laughs> lives. Um, but what's happened to the ACLU? That's true. What's happened oh, yeah. to the ACLU? Don't, don't, don't step on this. I'm yeah, reporting yeah, a yeah, huge Morty story. Yeah, been reporting this. I've been reporting this. We all have failed. Ah! We all have failed. It's the, ca- what's it's, hap- the ca- it's the California ACLU that's really the problem. California, but, uh, but, yeah. But, no, but the Connecticut, the Connecticut the one. The New York ACLU, the national, like they've all. No, no, it, it's the rot New, has New York ACLU yeah. has been lost since I was a student in college. But wait, can I, can yeah. I just make one point to this? Just going yeah. back. Yeah. The ACLU is a perfect example of this. Planned Parenthood pushing out, I believe her name is Liana Wen 
was a perfect example of this. It's over and over and over again. And what I have to, and what doing the Rogan story kind of made me ask myself is like, what is driving the fear? The fear that me and Moynihan feel, let's say, being inside of these institutions is we're still inside of them. We are playing a kind of the rebel end of it, but we want to maintain our institutional standing. That's really what's at stake. Because I don't actually think you're truly scared of being canceled. What you're scared of is losing the institutional member in good standing union card, essentially. I, I mean, I'm also <laughs> along with your livelihood. <laughs> along with yeah, your livelihood. I, I, yeah. well, no, no, and the result, your livelihood. Yeah. But you don't actually care what what a lot of those people think. No, no I don't. But there's a certain amount of gaslighting that goes on in just kind of you know subterranean way. I mean, it's not deliberate in the way that people do that to just make you feel like you're gone totally mad. But I used to sit there and think of myself as like, I don't, not only do I not have any views that I think are crazy or weird or out of step with the average American. Um, I think maybe the average American doesn't even, doesn't think about some of the views that I hold and maybe they would hold them if they cared about, you know, stuff that was probably resolved during the cold war. But I don't, I just don't believe that I have any views that are reactionary, that are out of the mainstream, that are weird, but like I am being governed, and I'm not even talking about my job, I'm just talking about in general, in the culture, in journalism, on Twitter and the rest of it, by people who have opinions that, you know, 1% of the population, 5% of the population at most holds, and they, their entire lives are to tell me that I shouldn't be allowed into polite society because I don't hold views that should be allowed in polite society, despite the fact that polite society shares those views with me and not with them. And this is a very, very strange thing. So they the gaslighting that happens is like, wait, do I have these? Am I horrible? Because well, I don't want to be that, horrible. I no, you know, but, it's like but if you are the skunk in the cafeteria or whatever, and you're surrounded every single day by people that genuinely believe that you are retrograde or whatever, you start to like, it infects you. Yeah. And that's what's really, in, I find like one of the things that's so important is to, is to find ways to guard against that infection and kind of like self-doubt. That force is so powerful mm -hmm. that you do the sense, one, not you, one, does the censorship for them. Mm -hmm. Of course. Because you know what the consequences are. So, so it's like, why would I write an op-ed that touches I don't know, trans professional transgender athletes. Like you think to yourself preemptively, is that the hill I want to die yeah. on? And then you kind of lead yourself to safer ground. And that's just terrible thing yeah, I think, yeah. for, for the culture. Did, was it, was there was uh, Barry appeared, uh, I think in a oblique way and the best SNL sketch of the past, you know, five years One of when the best, yeah. the, the dinner party kind of thing of bringing up a topic, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is way beyond the journalism class. You talk to normal people. And I made a joke about this in the Patreon the other day when I said, you know, I once did a fake accent that was like, um, you know, Lodka from Taxi. It had it was not a real accent. And the person I was with was like, hey, buddy. And I'm like, no, no, it's not real. It's not a real country. So you can't get mad at it because I'm not making fun of a real group of people. It could be Canadian. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. And they're like, whoa, whoa. Because it's just the instinct to go, whoa, 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 is so strong. To say, wait, I've been trained in this way because like, like, let's not court controversy here. And that is not just a thing that journalists do. It is really, it's, it's set up that way too. 
I mean, there's a reason when somebody realized, can you imagine that day, when somebody realized that, of that toxicity of those charges and what they could do for you in a moment when you wanted to win an argument or wanted to pin your opponent against the wall? You know, the woman in the, in the rambles wants to call the cops and she wants to tell the cops that he's black. She wants to, that's the highest card she knows how to play just to fuck with somebody because she wants to win. And that instinct being applied to journalism and being applied to public life in general is like, I'm going to drop that charge on him. I'm going to drop it on him. And he, it doesn't matter if it's true. It doesn't matter if it's close to true. But you know what? Google is going to be honeycombed forever with all these references to the debate. And your name and the debate, oh God, you want to go work at that hedge fund like that lady got fired from after you quit journalism? And they Google your name and there's a bunch of debates about whether or not you're racist. Ooh, ooh that's a good one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll that grenade into the tent. You can't lose, right? There's no sanction for making a false charge like this. Yeah. So why not? Just do it. Do it. And if it works, it works. Great. The person you hate is destroyed. And if it doesn't, fucking walk away and do something else. Go get a matcha latte. So speaking, <laughs> speaking of... I don't know why I said a matcha latte. Of, I'm not, okay, can I ask you guys something? The question is like, can do you think that the, the institutions, let's just take whatever, ACLU, the New Yorker, whatever can be reclaimed and fulfill kind of their mission again, or is the better road to basically go the Rogan route and start your own thing yes. that's where you're free to be wild westy. Yes. I think this, yes, I think the second, the, the second one is true. I mean, if you can change these institutions, it's going to take many, many generations. I mean, how long did it take for the new Republic to go from, um, you know, being edited by a Soviet agent? I think it was Michael Strait who in the forties, and then to becoming this, even the New Republic type liberal publication, to then being taken over by like people who worked at Gawker or something. It's a very, very long time and it doesn't happen quickly. So getting institutions like that back, and I shouldn't say back, I think that's wrong because I think a lot of those uh, magazines and, and do great, great work, but I mm -hmm. think they could do a lot better. And I think they, they limit the work, um, some really, really good stuff. Um, like I'm excited, uh, for instance, to, to, to read the Lionel Shriver profile. Errol Levy wrote it, and she's somebody who is a uh, lefty. She's, she's incredible. And, uh, she's incredible. Yeah, she's like a lefty feminist and a great writer. And like, I don't give a shit about her politics. I give a shit about, about the profile and if it's good. And I, I, I don't care. Like, if, if, if she was a right winger or a left winger, I just don't care. But it's, it is, you do measure it that way these days because it's always going to be like, oh, here we go. The number of times I say that reading, oh, here we go. Going to be that digression into like, Telling the readers that you're a good person and that you don't believe that you 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 hate your privilege, whatever it is. But you know these publications can they're not going to get out of this anytime soon because the, the feeders to these publications are the institutions that have to change too. I mean, they're all people coming from Yale and I mean this, these are places where you know the, what is the last person at, at uh, is Harvey Mansfield still alive at Harvard? I know, like he, he's still alive. he's still alive. Stephen and Abigail Thernstrom, I think. Both of them. Have we got, we have like, there's like Ruth Weiss. There's Ruth Weiss. Like, yeah. There's nobody like, and it's not even, you know, I remember in college for a minute, I was like, I think I'm a conservative. And then I realized I wasn't a conservative. I just wasn't one of them. I just thought that mm -hmm. the, if you weren't that, you had to be a conservative. And I was so happy to find out that I wasn't because I was like, oh, I don't care about Not that there's anything wrong no, with that. No, but Michael. like back, I'm like 70 years old back then, like to be a conservative was a little more socially conservative than I wanted it to be. And I was not acting in a socially conservative manner in my own life. 
What, so are, what, is it, what does it mean to be tense. a conservative now? Past tense. Yeah. To answer your question uh, in an optimistic, I'm eternally optimistic about uh, media development because of long histories of, of personal and professional failure. But um, it's to say that, yes, there's going to be more Rogans. Yes, there's going to be more, you know, Jesse Single and Katie Herzog, you know, starting whatever the hell they're going to do. It's going to be great. There's going to be all these. And there already is, as, as your article made clear, there's all, all this sort of individualized niche that can be made to pay. But there is also going to be and there has to be new institutions. There has to be new media institutions, new collectives of people who share that ethic. And that ethic isn't politics. The ethic is much more IDGAF. Is that what the kids say? You just don't give a fuck about anything um, uh, that you want to be able to talk with people regardless of where, where you're coming from. And you're not going to be cowed by this. You're going to actively push back against whatever walls are closing in. Um, and there's an attraction there. And Michael has pointed out for a long time, specifically with Rogan on on this podcast in, in, in a bunch of different settings. Like, it's amazing to see how few people uh, in uh, media gatekeeping uh, roles have said, huh, he's doing something that's interesting. Wonder what that is. Wonder if we could just like experiment with that, even at three o'clock in the morning, if it's a TV show or some little like side column at our at our paper. This It doesn't happen, right? It just doesn't. But there's a reason for that. Disagreeable troublemakers are not hired by, or if they are, cannot last inside of an institution. Because the people at the desk next to you will not tolerate it. Especially, imagine, especially now. Imagine what and, Rogan says in 30 minutes of any episode. He would say, every, in, and literally pick any 30 minutes, there would be something that would get him a call from the HR department yeah. at, at any of the places we work. Like, it's just. And it's not, it's it not worth it. And, and it's, when I worked at the LA Times, it gave me, and I, I tried hard to change the opinion section where I was working to make just like, cosmetic let's bring the the page from the 20th century to the 21st century on various things like can we run letters to the editor online that are extra than the ones that went in the like seriously that was a like 18 month fight um so these institutions many of which were monopolies and made monopoly like profits of like 20 percent uh profit margins or more for decades um, New York's a little bit different because it actually has a competitive newspaper market. But even so, the people made a lot of money. Um, they, the, 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 when you make a lot of money and or you build up a lot of prestige or whatever your capital is, doing it this way, regardless of how that amount of money is uh, is shrinking and is being challenged, which it certainly is almost everywhere, there's a mindset. And the mindset is totally one of literally gatekeeping. Like we are the guardians of the way that things should be. And uh, you can't change that mindset from within. You can change some margins. You can make this uh, publication more vibrant and interesting for a while, or maybe this section of a publication. I, I'm not a, a defeatist about this, but if you want like, just to have a place where it's normal for people to be weird and funny and to arrive at their own conclusions, and you don't know exactly where they're going to get, uh, where, where they are going to get in that process, you have to start that from scratch right now. And what is striking about the media landscape right now is that there hasn't yet, this week yet, been the creation of that space. I have the strong premonition 
that there will be sooner rather than later, and it's going to have an amount of success that is going to exceed the imaginations of a lot of people. Hmm. Well, I, I think one you, one thing are you one reviewing something. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I, well, well, before <laughs> it, he's he takes as he takes another drink. As he, the Spotify an drink. The the thing about the question that you're asking, Barry, is that we can't ignore the fact that Rogan just got a hundred million dollar Spotify deal, and it's a publicly traded company. Spotify is an institution. They are willing to take this gamble. They didn't get invented yesterday. They've been around since 2006. Um, Rogan created his own platform, but he was gobbled up by a massive company that is looking to attract an audience. And they were took willing to take years. They, it, it, 15 years. He made how, himself a hundred million dollar man. Years. We don't, we don't know how many offers he turned down in the interim to bring his show places. It is certainly the truth that there aren't a lot of Rogans on the landscape. Um, but he is not completely alone. There's a gentleman on HBO that has a, a show that is oftentimes uh, somewhat heterodox, um, and he's he quite turned, prominent. He now, but he turned while he was on HBO. He became. Did he, did he turn? Mar yes, because he was politically 100%. he was politically incorrect before. He used to say some daring that things was, on I used different to, topics. I used to make fun of that show for being the least politically incorrect show on television. <laughs> and then and then, and then they started inviting you. Well, no, no, that was the political. They stopped too. Um, but no, that was uh, politically incorrect. The one that was on what ABC or CBS. Um, yeah. ABC. But yeah, no, I, I, I still think it's absolutely true that I mean, it's not about Rogan. It's about people because what you do, and I've mentioned this before, is that when another publisher hits with Harry Potter, you try to find your own. You try to find Lemony Snicket, mm -hmm. and nobody's doing that. No one's doing their own versions of Joe Rogan. And saying, oh, let's experiment with this guy who's kind of Rogan-like, but, you know, he's not the same thing. But, you know, how many Matt knows how many uh, bands that looked and sounded like the Beatles from 1963 <laughs> to 1965. Mm -hmm. The Knickerbockers. Great single called Lies, by the way, that sounds exactly like a Beatles song. But, yeah, nobody was doing that. And nobody was doing that because it's like just boggles the mind. The number of these big media organizations that have a lot of capital behind them. They have venture capital. They have rich guys that have started them, funded them, whatever, that are going after the smallest sliver of the population. Remember Mike.com? Oh, I yeah. Mean, literally, that, mm -hmm. is, that was stuff that was written by subliterate kids who just graduated from college in the most insane versions of the worst editorials in the college newspaper. For a huge audience with venture capital behind it, you got to be fucking kidding me. No one out there thinks like this. No one cares about it. And if they do, they don't even want to read about it. Nobody wants to read about the shit that they already believe. There's nothing challenging in it. It's not like reading like, you know, Francois Furet when you were like, you know, in the 1970s or, you know, Jean-Francois Ravel. Like, oh, God, there's an incredible way of looking at it. It's not. It's just like there's white supremacy and everybody sucks and you know, this, you know, the same narratives that you get all the time. You're not mm. learning anything from that. Somebody saw a film, but it used to be like, that was the easiest thing to write, right? X doesn't have Y representation. X should have written the movie that I wanted them to write, but didn't write the one that I wanted them to write. So therefore I've written a fucking story about it. It's not a goddamn story. That's something you annoy your friends with until they just tell you to shut up. It's not <laughs> something that you actually write down and submit to an editor and venture capitalists back and pay for. And you know what? All those places, to borrow a phrase from the British, went tits up. They don't do well. No one wants that garbage. 
You can be like lefty kind of normal. You go woke, you go broke. Look, actually, I've just heard that expression last week, but I think it's I true. I don't know. Right? I don't know. There's a lot of successful okay, publications out the there. They're still publishing I like, stuff. They became, the they became I, I like, famous before that. Right. That's the, that's, that's the real question. Because, you know, tacking to the left is winning a lot of readers for a lot of mainstream publications. Yeah, but right like, now. I, the question I, is I don't care. Tacking to... But tacking to the left is fine. I think a lot of lefty stuff is great. I'm interested. I want in the time of Donald Trump, like lefty perspectives on this. I want in a time when there is populism of left and the right and Bernie Sanders is doing great. No, I want to read that stuff. About, but that's, no, that's Michael, is, come on. Like the that's sh- not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about like partisan. I'm talking about the thing we are talking about, which is a sensorian. <laughs> Sorry? The crazy people. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. I don't think they make yeah, money. I don't think, I don't think Barry, that, that they're gaining huge new readerships i i think salon.com was more successful in 1998 when david horowitz was a columnist and camille, camille Pavlia Pavlia. was a column, yeah. columnist mm. uh, and when their founding editors who were san francisco lefties but that would they yeah, david talbot um yeah all these guys who were who were interesting uh guys and gals again gals uh who were interesting thinkers uh <laughs> wanted to set themselves apart from the boring political orthodoxies of the mm. bay area of of the mid 1990s you know um and they they were pretty successful granted there weren't a lot of online magazines back in 1996 and 7 but now you did know, they have an ipo oh they had uh there was a term <laughs> of art as a dutch ipo right so like yeah. it was a way of saying like oh anyone can join this ipo you don't have to have stockbroker or actually any money um it's uh yeah they they're always uh, going to just like Dick, gotcha, just like Dick Cheney was going to, uh, you know, uh, or Donald Rumsfeld was going to uh, turn the corner in six months in Iraq. Uh, They're always the next quarter was going to be their first po- profitable quarter. Sure, but they went. I, wanted- I mean, just that hmm. they went from being a place, uh, and I wrote for them, uh, you know, fifteen years ago on occasion. They went from being a place where if you saw something, particularly when they were covering. Uh, uh, parties or ideologies that weren't their own or what you associated with, you would say, oh, I wonder what they're going to say about it. I mean, Jake Tapper was a salon.com correspondent. A lot of people who have uh, some uh, quality, you might uh, bitch about some some individual things that they've done, but some good thinkers and writers worked there. And also you didn't know where they were going to land. Dan Savage, I think, was writing for them uh, for a while. Um, and uh, you went from there to now everything you've seen for the last you know, eight years or so has just been all woke it's really rare when you when you get to arrive at a salon.com piece and go huh that makes me think in a slightly different way or i'm i'm you know wrong-footed in some way that that's just over and i don't think that their net audience is higher that's the thing i think there's this weird like chasing for a dwindling audience for that kind of wokeism and and kind of everybody on the media left is doing it. And I think that it's less a business directive as it is just a, a, a personnel fact. And Barry, you mentioned before, like as an age thing, there's some cutoff. I don't know where it is. It's certainly younger than I am. It's probably around Camille, between you, Camille and you, um, in which the people younger, um, that's normal to them. And the people older are like, what happened? Uh, how, how do I, how do I get to keep navigating this? It's called the long march through the institutions. It, it kind of is. And I, no, it is. and, and like, but for me and, and Camila and I have had disagreements about this. 
Like all I see when I see that happening on a day-to-day basis is like opportunity because none of that shit's popular. Who, who is like suddenly making a lot of money because they're doing that? Chapo Trap House. Okay, maybe, but they're also funny, right? No, no, they, they totally re- they reject. <laughs> well, no, no, but they totally they re- reject, reject. They reject censorious identity. Okay, yeah, they right. do. I mean, by the way, they're like, I think they're crazy bullies, but that that is why they're successful, and that's one of the reasons I love listening to Red Scare. Like, I listened to the their trailer today, which is about the Karens, and I was like, you know, right out the gate. No, seriously, right out the gate, they're saying the things that like we think or broadly think that you kind of can't say anywhere else. I think, I think, I think, that's popular. I think those girls are so fucking funny and that's, they are. they are hilarious and they win by the way, you can see the the people who respond to that and how they respond to it is mm. like, particularly with young women is that those are the cool girls that they want to be friends with and you're friends with through that podcast. And they are just great, I mean, smart, funny. Moynihan, I'm really, you know, I'm really wrong, happy for you. But, you know, and I, and I, I, you know, whatever, whatever, but They've gotten enough shine, don't you think? Don't you think people have said enough nice things about the Red Scare podcast over the last couple of days? Well, I wish somebody would write maybe, a column maybe about we could it stop. and maybe include not them. I just tweeted my <laughs> Don't tweet. Well, um, we're, we're concentrating here. Well, I don't know if we. I don't know if you'll be able to tweet anymore. We we need to talk about this because there's some concern uh, amongst nice amongst the political leadership of this country. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, particularly the president of the United States, who's very angry at Twitter um, and the social media giants in general. Um, over the last couple of days, the president was tweeting things. Uh, he tweeted something about mail-in ballots, which apparently he does not like because there is, and I quote, no way, zero with an exclamation point um, percent chance that uh, mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent. Um, sure. And this tweet about mail-in ballots, received some unusual treatment for Twitter. Uh, They essentially instituted some kind of new fact-check bug, which appears underneath the president's tweet and says, get the facts about mail-in ballots. If you click said bug, you will be taken to uh, a litany of articles, one of which comes from the hated, from the president's standpoint, CNN, um, among other publications, all telling you that what the president said is a lie. Um, The president is outraged by this. And today there is talk of there being some executive order draft draft being drafted. Um, We do not know the details uh, about what's in this executive order, but the president has pledged to take action. He is going to put a stop to social media companies, essentially not giving sufficient voice to conservative publications as he sees it. Um, And he also refers to this bug as an, as interference in the election um, it is worth mentioning yeah. that just this evening, um, I did notice we talked about Ice Cube earlier um, and what he was saying about the the, the police involved death uh, that's taken place earlier this week. Ice Cube posted a photo that has been making the rounds of the officer who was kneeling on uh, George's neck um, and who killed him uh, next to another picture of a man wearing a hat that says make white um, make whites great again. Um, it is the case that people are suggesting that these are the same two people. It's not the same people. And what's interesting is Twitter has also flagged Ice Cube's post. And now underneath his post, it says manipulated media. And if you click no. through, you will actually get details um, about how this photo is super fucking fake because it is. 
um, that is not actually the cop who was involved um, in that particular arrest. It's just some asshole who has a Facebook page who kind of looks like him, um, who does, in fact, appear to have a make whites great again hat, which I don't know what that means exactly. At any but, rate, here we I think are. It's a refer- I think it's a reference to wine, stake, actually. But what's at stake in the fact check, right, is is Twitter <laughs> moving away from being what it has always claimed it has been, therefore sort of protecting itself from accusations of libel and obligations to all sorts of things that publishers have? And is it becoming a publisher by curating and commenting on its users' statements. And by the way, of all the things to fact check Trump on, that one he actually has an argument for. Like it's a weird, to me that was weird to choose that rather than like the cold-blooded psycho Joe Scarborough who, you know, that actually seemed like of all the things to have fact checked over the past 48 hours, why not? But it's it's because of that. But it's because of that that you have this, right? Yeah. It's the time that that may be coming next. So, yeah. Yeah. But what do you guys... Like, this is something where I feel like you, I'm confident that the three people I'm speaking to have much stronger viewpoints than me. Twitter, publisher or platform? Section 230 in the, uh, uh, was it the Telecommunications Act of 1996? <laughs> Does not. <laughs> such a ner- this is a nerdy start. Section two thirty. Well, no, the- it's the thing. If you want to learn about the, it's like the thing I keep. Yeah. No, I appreciate. Well, it. It's it, what pe- it's what people are talking. No, I'm I'm not that guy. Like Camille and Michael know more about this, but they're like uh, busy like uh, swallowing their their drinks. Uh, than I do. Delicious drink. Uh, but that's what people are going after. This is Ted Cruz just to. Tonight, and we're recording this on Wednesday, so when you hear it next Tuesday, you should know that it's Wednesday and uh, Trump's supposed to do the uh, executive order Thursday is the latest. Uh, uh, it's some, yeah. something to do with social media. Um, so Ted Cruz, um, who I, I want to give a shout out to my own political judgment when I first saw him for the first time. I want to say it's like 2008 at some, uh, you know, damn conservative Freedom Works type of uh, club for growth type of events. and in uh, Orange County, California, people were like, oh, this guy, Ted Cruz, watch him. He's great. And it was him. And I think Mike Lee uh, mm-hmm. and Mike Lee, I was like, hey, pretty good. And Ted Cruz is like, oh, my God, this charlatan fuck. Uh, anyways, tonight, uh, big tech is the single biggest threat facing our democracy. Yes, that's obviously true. Ted Cruz, it gets better. We know in 2016, social media companies had an outsized role in influencing our presidential election. Yeah, he did that. Uh, Wow. Does he not know what he sounds like there? With another presidential election months away, we need to take action now to curtail that influence. Uh, He's been the biggest uh, person, uh, him and Josh Hawley on the right. Uh, to go after Section 230 in the uh, in the uh, uh, Telecommunications Act 96. What that did, and that's why people talk about the difference between platform and publisher. Um, that difference was not spelled out. It didn't come up in that Section 230. Section 230 basically says that the comments on Vice News and New York Times and Freethink and Reason and the fifth column, for that matter, mm-hmm. Patreon, whatever, um, on Facebook, all those comments we are not legally liable for. That's basically what it is. The user-generated content on those platforms, um, the individual companies that 
hosted or facilitated are not themselves legally liable for. They are legally liable for whatever fact check they come up with. If that fact check happens to say, happens to violate some other federal criminal statute or whatever, um, then they're uh, exposing themselves to that liability. What that did was allowed for there to be a uh, user-generated aspect to the interwebs, comments on YouTube. And a lot of the things that it allowed for are stuff that we actively run away from screaming now to be sure, but it also allowed for there to be a free discussion in general online in a way in this country. Uh, and again, this was against, to, in, to some degree, the wishes of politicians at the time, um, politicians uh, in particular, Hillary and Bill Clinton. Um, they tried to write up the uh, and lard into the 1996 Act a bunch of things to protect the children to make sure that it was all OK for them. and. The Supreme Court, in the beginning of 25 years of being pretty good on free speech, struck that down and said we have to have a more freewheeling conversation. So there isn't in that thing a distinction between platform and publisher. There isn't. That's not that's not a thing. What they're saying is that if you host a website. OK, let me put yeah. it this way. Why would Twitter risk the immunity? It it that Section 230 grants it. Over this because thing. that's they're not because How they're not the the only thing they're risking is the wrath from idiot politicians and mm-hmm. other people who do not understand what's actually written in the law. Why would the New York Times risk the wrath of 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 uh, of that immunity by moderating its comments or by writing judgmental things in its pages? Well, of course, it's a newspaper. It does what it wants. Right. So, Rob Amari, you sent around. Um, I had a I had a big piece in The New York Post just today talking about this breathing fire as he tends to do. I think he wakes up in the morning and just like doses fire into his face and breathes it out. Uh, just like <laughs> <laughs> that's the most Matt Welch thing I've ever heard. Doses fire into his face. Whatever. In the morning. That's fine. Yeah, sure. It's kind we of know English. What he means. It's going to be. Yeah. We know what it's, he means. It's 1942 somewhere, Michael. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, like uh, like it's terrible that they get this immunity that the New York Post don't that don't get. And that's not true. It's just not. They what they're saying is that. The New York Post will not get sued by their people in their comments section um, saying crazy things about Barack Obama. And I think they're going to. It's just my 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 hunch that New York Post commenters uh, might do that on occasion. Um, That's it. It's about user generated content on your site. So you're not Mm -hmm. risking your immunity by doing a fact check. What you're doing is you're incurring the wrath of the modern crop of opportunistic and idiotic politicians. Josh Hawley is is at the front of that line but ted cruz who at some point was at least given some kind of patina as a constitutionalist deserves extra credit for saying things about um uh, the telecommunications act in section 230 that are just so blatantly not true um so what they're just doing is they're picking a fight um they're caving on one hand to probably their own employees and the overall ethos of the silicon valley and about the media culture in which they want to be more part of by fact check. I mean, every single day there are idiots on Twitter, journalism professors on Twitter, newspaper reporters on Twitter saying we need to ban the president from Twitter. Mm-hmm. Come on, Jack. Come on, Jack. Aren't Do you something, terms Jack. of service? Do something right now, Jack. Enforce I the guarantee rules, Jack. You, I guarantee you if you polled Twitter's employees that you would get over 50% of the people that work there wanting him to be banned from the platform too. My God, yes. 
more. I think it would be more. I mean, it's so it's so depressing to see, um, you know, and somebody you know quite quite well, uh, Barry, who's covered these issues uh, from the inside in San Francisco. Is tech we'll people one? Way. You got her right in your your line of sight right now. The great. Uh, she's, she's trolling. She's doing as she always does, looking at Pet Finder for three legged blind. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Do not I just bring you. On this podcast. I could just bring no, you my dog. Guys, she, she's texted me twenty dogs. Twenty dogs. Dogs. Why would you? Including one. No. Named- a, a dog called Goose, who is deaf. Who's deaf? My sister said, it looks like he's begging for death. <laughs> oh, I would love him. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously, if, if, if you're in the market for a dog, I could bring my pooch over there right away. And if he when, needs when? to, if I need to take one of those legs off, I can do that. That's <laughs> right. It's easily done. Quick procedure. What, what, Barry, what Barry does not know is that Nelly has texted me about a two-legged dog named Heinrich who is racist <laughs> and apparently anti-Semitic. And she's like, we can cure him. She said it to me. We can cure him and talk rationally with this dog. I'm like, it's so much work. Why are you, what's too much work? You know what I do to people in my life? I send them properties, Nelly Balls. <laughs> Don't send them. Oh, oh yeah, that's the fantasy. Hand. She's coming over One hand, I'm coming over no, okay. this Oh, no. Yes, I have become obsessed with Zillow. I send Barry properties constantly. I was just looking at Montauk yeah, for so the last I, like forty-five minutes while y'all have been jabbering. N- uh, Nelly, <laughs> at the end of this, I will send you my great picks on. Z- I like. I know every I street, everything that's on Zillow right now. Oh. I've got. I can filter it for you. I need it. You're Dear the reason God. that the prices are going up. Because I thought I was the only you one. Montauk and then Montauk's too far. Montauk's too far. <laughs> too far of a jog. The, the, the blind dog is fine. That's fine. But get the one. I have a transgender dog who <laughs> is confused about a lot of things. To be record, honest, we and already you have, have that dog in Montauk. Functional dog who, if we hadn't had the luck, I mean. We could be like today. Our dog bit another person. He bit someone's ankle. Oh, Wait, who's dog? No, we that? have to send him to boarding school. He's bad. You're lucky Cooper didn't name? get on you. Karen too would have. That's it. God, <laughs> look at all you Karens up there in the Upper West Side, East Side. I don't know one of the sides. You're somewhere. Oh my God, um, look at the great Nelly Bowles. But ladies and gentlemen, Nelly Bowles, a great journalist. Wait, let's my, go back to tech. People, yes. no, get it. She's a tech We're lady. About tech. I have no opinions about tech. <laughs> You've only covered it for 25 <laughs> years. You started covering it when you were in like junior high. <laughs> the tech people that I thought were going to be the great sort of saviors, they've been the exact opposite of that. I remember when I did a piece, Nelly and I might have worked together at the time with the guy from Cloudflare, um, who mm. said, you know, the, the funny thing about them is incredibly inflated senses of their own importance in the sort of global debate. And the guy said to me, I wake up in the morning and I realize that I can change the course of the debate in history by what? turning somebody off the Internet. It's like, yeah, kind of. But inflated sense of their own influence. There's no one more powerful in America. Like these companies are run by a few, a handful of individuals making these decisions. God, I totally They're agree. Far more powerful than a senator. Than I, the cloud player you guy. think so? I totally I, agree. I, I actually think Nelly's right about this. But the, the, no, no. The only thing that I thought was weird about it was that they they target the like if he was doing that, the live or die thing was applied to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, even Breitbart or something. 
I would say, okay. But it's usually some, you know, website with four mouth breathing Nazis <laughs> with face tattoos. It's like, yeah, well, <laughs> they're really not influencing anybody but the other, you know, knuckle dragger down the corner. So I think the inflated sense of importance was wh where they apply it because they, they're totally yeah. confident in applying it that. But just going back to the Ted Cruz thing of saying, what did he say again? I love that, that sentence. Big tech is, the, big tech is, is the, the single biggest threat facing our democracy. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it's patently absurd. And I don't I, I disagree with the sentiment that they're the most powerful people in the country. I, I don't think that any tech executive is generally more powerful than a senator. Like senators actually have the force of law. They have guns. Whoa, they can what? force Whoa. people to do things. Oh, OK. OK. They can force people to do things. Um, tech CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg changes the Facebook algorithm. People dislike it. People log off. I'm not compelled to use Facebook. I'm not compelled to use Twitter. I use them yes, because you I are. Excuse me. You're weird. You're <laughs> Facebook. I could be. I have it's plenty like of super cool weird friends. People who don't have a good Google. Yeah, but Facebook. That's not ten years ago. That's not nearly. On. That's not nearly the same thing as a law being passed that requires you to do something or not. And I think one senator needs a lot of other senators to ruin your life. Okay. One tech CEO on his own can do no, that. No, right? he can't. They have shareholders. No, they can't. That's and not how that works. That's not how that works. They have shareholders and they have employees who will revolt if they do certain things. And they most who certainly the have customers. Who and they the most certainly have customers. Now? Members of the Khmer Rouge? I mean, they, who's allowing they this have, stuff to happen? They have shareholders. They have employees. And generally speaking, they're, there is a consensus about taking this kind of action at a place like Twitter, as you just established. Mark Zuckerberg may want to do plenty of things. What he actually can do is limited and constrained in various important ways, as is a senator. But again, no matter what Mark Zuckerberg decides to do, Mark Zuckerberg ain't got guns. He can't force people to do things yeah, right and, yes. and competitors can come and eat his lunch and he has many competitors whether we acknowledge it or not camille question not not myspace but twitter is a facebook competitor friends right twitter is a <laughs> facebook competitor question, Link, linkedin okay. is increasingly more of a facebook a facebook competitor and at some point yes yeah, someone else could arise and could compete with facebook but facebook Let themselves they're so powerful that they got out of the news business because it became politically inconvenient for them they're so powerful that they've had to capitulate with respect to the way that they uh talk about like election interference and concede a point that i think is patently ridiculous that they somehow influenced the outcome of the election with no, because no, no, the Russians no, spent $150,000 on Facebook ads. It is absolutely absurd, but they are powerless, interestingly, to do anything about the pervasiveness of this nonsense narrative and instead have had to concede the point, operate as if it's the truth, and have transformed their business to the point where they say, maybe we just should stop doing political ads altogether. Who has the power in that relationship? Wait, wait, wait. Know. So Facebook, Facebook, I think is the wrong example. Let, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about two guys that were doctors from Bakersfield, California. And I think both Camille and I disagreed with these guys and said, it just doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. I think they're wrong on the science for X, Y, and Z reason. They're doctors. We are not, but we are smarter than them. So we were right and they weren't. Their video was taken off YouTube. Taken off YouTube. Right. YouTube, of course, being like, it's not its own company, obviously. It's, it's part Google. of Google. Yeah. And it's part of Google. And I don't think there's going to be a shareholder revolt because of the innocence of Muslims video. You remember that thing that kind of 
who supposedly precipitated the whole Benghazi affair. It didn't. But that um, these two guys in, in Bakersfield, when you start doing those things one at a time, right, you're not going to get a shareholder revolt. You know, it hasn't happened yet. I can't imagine anyone saying a damn thing about the four or five examples that I can think of that are actually quite, you know, chilling. What, what, you, what I mean, Jack, Jack, very, Jack very nearly just got fired at Twitter, so it's worth mentioning. Well, that's more because he's like a complete woo-woo loving <laughs> prick. Comes back from a silent retreat with a fucking nose ring. I'm just it's saying like, no, you should not be you. You should not be the CEO of a fucking kombucha company at this point, much less Twitter. <laughs> I do all his health tricks. I, I, I follow him. It's got to be. He tells, he tells me to fast. Nelly, there's <laughs> got to be one in a relationship because <laughs> the other one's going to be shaking their head like, what the fuck? What is she doing? She's like hanging upside down, drinking like, you know, mercury shakes. <laughs> I will say that Nelly has got me on her number one weird obsessive thing, which is her treadmill desk. Yeah. Oh, sure. Now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we have matching gray New Balance. That is the <laughs> most. That is, that is how gay we are. The, fir- the first bit of, I was going to say, the first bit of that is the most San Francisco shit I've ever heard. And the second bit is the most lesbian shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let you guys get back to your wow. No, come back. Stay with us. No, it's just going to go like, <laughs> park the I- U-Haul. Yeah. <laughs> so, Even Matt knows the U-Haul reference. Look at that. I don't think she's not going to so, be looking up RVs. The other day she was like, back, back. But if we like got a van and tricked it out. And I'm like, that's called an RV. You know, you know who Nellie Bowles is? Lesbian Tommy Chong. She wants a van <laughs> with fucking paint on the side and like a half moon. It's and the mystery machine. I, and you oh machine. You drive up to Woodstock. Holy shit. I'm moving in. <laughs> oh, God. You're having a very fun time here. <laughs> I liked it when you, you, you guys should be back in uh, Massachusetts. That was, a, that was the good place to be, right? Why are you back in the city? That was a good place. No, we're we, now we're in New York. And then we're like, maybe, maybe going to mask up and go to California. Mm. All right. City. Mask on. San Francisco, right? Yeah. Maybe. All right. Well, San Francisco, LA, or maybe we can. I mean, if you bought a house and invited us. I'm trying. It takes a while. Yeah. Everyone's fucking slow. Unbelievable. They want to make money. They should okay, get these so houses out. Twitter, you're telling me that the entire public conversation around Twitter is based on an erroneous understanding of this Section 230 yeah. thing. And that Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz are just capitalizing on that misunderstanding. Correct. And yes. Um, uh, and also, that there is increasingly in our politics on the right and left in this country and abroad uh, a sense of treating politics not as something to ennoble the right of the individual, regardless of whether where he or she comes from, but to um, protect our side and punish our enemies. It's mm-hmm. it's ex- it's explicit. I mean, the whole like new conservatism of which Sorab Sor- Arami or whatever uh, is. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it sober. I can't do it. It's not that hard. Can't do it kind of in my middle sense now. Um, anyways, not that, um, not that no, hard. Like uh, it's that that was the, his fight with David French. He's like, yeah, but we're, when are we going to win? When are we going to fight? David French is like, you know what? And this is you know, go Google it, kids. Uh, but um, like, I have been fighting rights based uh, legal arguments to make sure that. Uh, mostly conservatives and Christians in this country can 
uh, have their space uh, to express themselves freely without the state telling them that they can't for a long time. And I and, and also on college campuses, um, he was a part of a fire, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education for a long time. Um, I've mm. done all these things. And like Sorob's like, yeah, but have you been winning? Um, and there's this whole pent up frustration on the on the populist right. And it's even LARPing, frankly. And we've talked about uh, this uh, a bit with the Adrian Vermules of the world. Like they have these fantasies about using power like a club. And it's really curious to see the extent to which people who indulge in such fantasies live in places like New York City. Like, what do you think is going to happen when you reduce the amount of constraints on government power in the city that you actually live? Is that going to work out for you, Mr. Conservative? I kind of think that Bill de Blasio is not going to be the guarantor of your rights in a very Ugh, particularly effective he's way. The worst. And and this is this is part of it. There's a sense of there's a, a populist anti-media sense in general, an anti-tech sense in general. And it always wins because the media is always bad against people. Um, and there's a horseshoe theory of being uh, anti-media that we've seen for many decades uh, prior, you know, like Ralph Nader would talk about or, or uh, Bernie Sanders would talk about the media in ways that are pretty similar to what Trumpites would. There's just some, some sort of differences on the margins. Well, now those ideas and those those concepts, which previously were fringe, um, are now becoming more and more mainstream. And, you know, senators don't actually I, we were talking earlier about, you know, senators having power. I kind of dispute that they don't really do anything. Um, there isn't legislation. The, the the Senate Majority Leader has power. Maybe the Minority Leader does. The you know Speaker of the House has power, and but most members of Congress don't do anything ever. They just get elected and, and yap. Um, <laughs> seriously, they don't pass bills. They don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, what do you do if you're Josh Hawley? You want to be the person who is talked about when we talk about post-Trumpism, and you will do it by going quickest to indulging in the cheap jack anti-media sentiment and anti-tech sentiment. And it doesn't matter that you get the facts wrong along the way. Since when does that matter? Have we seen who is the president of the United States? I mean, regardless of whether we think that the, you know, the Twitter is being self-evidently ridiculous and elevating fact-checking to some kind of, you know, clarity, which it absolutely isn't. And most places in the journalism ecosphere that talk about their fact-checking with a couple of notable exceptions are crap, um, or at least are really self-indulgent, uh, like, oh, we just care about the facts, like listening to, to fucking Andrew Cuomo at every one of his press conferences. It's just about data. Like, fuck you. Um, regardless of any of that, <laughs> like, they, they are going into this knowing which way the wind is blowing. It, it, it is blowing in this direction. They don't care that their facts are wrong about it. And so they are going to use the populist sentiment to try to achieve and consolidate power. That's it. And so the question I, for the rest of us is how much are we going to indulge in that ourselves and how much are we going to uh, pay attention to the things that allowed us to create all of this wealth and conversation? Yes, uh, the, the vast majority of which is super annoying at all times, just like 99 percent of all tapes that your friends bands gave you in college back when there was college and tapes, uh, tapes. in the 1980s sucked. Right. Ninety percent of everything is terrible. Ninety percent of social media is also terrible. But that doesn't mean that we should change the law to expose people to the government having more prosecutorial ability to punish people they don't like. I I wanted one final thing on the Trump um, fact checking is that I think Twitter is making a huge mistake here for a couple of reasons. But the most important one is that 
that, you know, a number of people in their own universe, people they know, friends of theirs, blue check marks say, you really have to put the, you know, true facts next to uh, Donald Trump's conspiracy theory about Joe Scarborough killing a woman. Um, no, you don't. And the reason you don't, because it's so self-evidently stupid and crazy that we don't have to fact check those things. Because if you look at the cost benefit here, essentially Twitter is going out there. They don't do this to other public figures typically, right? It's not a sort of member of parliament from, you know, Henley on Thames, which I guess used to be Boris Johnson saying, oh, they, they uh, said something about some small political issue and it is wrong. I mean, this is essentially what politicians do. They lie to you constantly. And that's why journalists exist. So when you start doing this, and you're like, you know, betting all you're putting all your chips over Donald Trump. He's lying about this thing that we all know is wrong, right? You're clarifying nothing for anyone. Nobody is going, oh, I thought that was true. Now the Twitter people told me it, it was false. Ah, oh, I see what's happening here. So you're clearly only making a political statement, right? And when you do, especially when you can easily Google and find out that the yes, it's, head it's integrity for Twitter, whatever his job title is, is tweeting about how Mitch McConnell is like a bag of farts, which did make me I laugh. Mean, and how actually true. Flyover states are racist. Like, why would you like? But that's the thing. Uh, you make people Google that stuff when you start fact checking the president like this is that you don't need it because everyone knows it's nonsense. Everyone has known that everything the guy says is nonsense since he started running for president as a member of the fucking reform party when he was like, Pat Buchanan's a Nazi and this is a problem. And then, you know, look at what we got now. But no, this is convincing no one. The only thing it is doing is polarizing the country even more by allowing people that are real diehard Trump supporters to say that not only is the mainstream media against us, is all this sort of, you know, insurgent media that allows us gives us this voice in this tribune, like Twitter, is actually, they're actually against us too. And the slowly they're taking away, they're shadow banning us, they're doing X, Y, and Z. And it all comes together as this sort of supernova of anti-Trump censorship. Whether that, that's true or not is irrelevant because what is actually true is they're expending energy on something that doesn't need to be shot down. That's what the rest of the world in media does. We tell people, that what Donald Trump just said is bullshit. If you don't want to listen to that, nothing is going to make you think that it's true, that, that it's false, right? I mean, if I tell, if like, if factcheck.org, if that's still a thing, or if Twitter, or if anybody says, Donald Trump said X, Y, and Z, it's not true. The number of people that show up at like rallies to end the lockdown in X country or X county with an AR-15 and a skull mask as a bandana, they're not going to listen to you. That's like, that's, you can't beat them. They have a narrative like people on the other side have a narrative and your stupid fact check is not going to change that. So the only thing you end up doing is allowing yourself to be presented as a company that hates the president and is fact checking him and never did that to Barack Obama who lied about things and other people who lied about things, yada, yada, yada. Why do it? It's such a waste of time. You're only sort of you know, motioning to the people on your own side saying, hey, I'm good. Look at me. I'm good. I'm telling the president he's full of shit. Of course, he's fucking full of shit. He's Donald Trump. He's been full of shit for fucking four years. Why are you surprised by this? We need to tell people now. If you need to be told by fucking a tech company that Donald Trump is full of shit, get out of the political game. You're too stupid for it. Get out. No one cares about you. You're too dumb. And I'm not going to rally everybody who's smart 
tell you constantly that this man is lying to you. Of course he's fucking lying to you. Oh, God, it's so annoying to me. He wasn't wrong when he warned us how angry he was being in this weird house. I mean, one kind of answer to your question of why would why would you do it is that they feel the political pressure, not from Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. They feel it from Nancy Pelosi yeah, that's right. uh, and exactly other people right. who spent the last two years in change blaming Facebook on the 2016 election, which which yes. Ted Cruz was malevolently playing with in his tweet. Yes. Right. Um, and so they feel like it's coming from the left and they live in the left. That is their milieu. And they live in California and these places that have you know, will will vote against Donald Trump by 25 percentage points in 2020. Um, and so that feels like, oh, that's that's pressure that we need to deal with. Um, and they will soon come to realize that the other pressure they're going to also have to to deal with. And it's a mess. The sad part is that there is now um, no real political constituency for protecting the robustness of free speech on its own grounds, with the very important exception of the free of, uh, of the Supreme Court which has been great on this for a long time. The question is, and it's an open one, is how long can there be a gap between jurisprudence at the highest level and where American political opinion is? Barry Friedman, among others, have, have posited that like, you can last about 10 years. So fighting mm. for a culture of free speech is important. Um, and there's many libertarians who disagree with that. Uh, uh, Ken White of Pope had is one of them. Um, Thad Russell's on uh, on uh, my side in this particular case that like, no, culture of free speech is important precisely because it ends up trickling into law. Um, and so um, you it's I want there to be more open speech on Twitter. I don't want Twitter to be censoring people. Um, and I want there to be a culture of not wanting to like uh, have journalists try to agitate for the president to get banned from Twitter. I, I just don't like my brain can't even wrap around that kind of stuff. Uh, but also not to give in to whatever passions of the moment to restrict the amount of acceptable legal speech, which everyone seems to what, be doing. What I truly don't understand about the effort of like so-called progressives to get Trump's tweets deleted or to ban Trump from Twitter is like, can't they easily foresee a situation 10 years from now where a group that they hate comes to power or, you know, or Twitter bows to China and all of a sudden they're banning those who defend the people. Like, I don't like the lack of sort of um, dark imagination. Mm -hmm. it, it's shocking yeah, to they, me. They can't, they can't imagine. Like, that. I, I don't understand. Why are you asking yeah. a corporation to censor political speech? But you know what, what I think is going to really bite them in the ass is if you look at the Chirons, particularly on CNN, they think they're very clever about this. They've been doing it for, three plus years now. And apparently there's a button on the, uh, the keyboard um, that says without evidence. So CNN, every Chiron says <laughs> Trump claims without evidence. They hit the button and said like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, isn't that clever? Isn't that so cute? CNN doing this. They're fact checking the fucking idiot president. You know, what's going to happen is that you want to see polarization. You want to see people hate the media more than they already do. Is that when Donald Trump, you know, loses the election, and I, I hope that he does. And I'm not, you know, revealing something that people don't already know. I hope he loses. And that in another guy comes in from the other side of the aisle and who's a blundering idiot who makes things up on the spot. And when they don't see that button being hit that says without evidence, they're going to say, honestly, 
they've been fact checking the president, you know, and it was just a, it was like, you know, a good faith thing. They want the American people to be informed. And then all of a sudden the other guy is saying things that are not true. Where's the Chiron now that says President Biden says, you know, without breathing or blinking and without evidence <laughs> that X, Y, and Z happened. It's not going to happen. You're never going to see it. It's a partisan thing. It's a political thing. I get that, you, that Trump is uniquely awful in a lot of ways. But if you're going to go out there and pretend that you're doing this as public servants and as, as you know, people that are kind of adjudicating what is true and what is false and for the public good, you got to keep doing it. Because if you don't keep doing it, everyone's going to say, you guys are frauds and this thing is just stinks to high heaven and it's all political bias and everything we've been told since the beginning of time, the media's left wing has proven itself to be true. So watch the fact that they're never going to say without evidence if it's somebody that they actually kind of like. To uh, kind of answer your question, Barry, I, I, I'm struck by this constantly. Uh, no, I, I didn't mean that as a contrast. Um, but like uh, that, that line of thinking is, is gone. And I think that's part of the populist moment that we live in. Like people don't have a power analysis of, of, of poor behavior or good behavior by government. It's just that they want to be the ones with the club. Um, you see well, they, this they do have an analysis, actually. They, they, they believe no, that people the who same- are concerned about – they believe that people who are concerned about censorship or, or freedom of speech in contexts like this or even um, who have any sort of civil liberties concerns related to the pandemic and the sort of restrictions the government might be placing on people have a, a disastrous and immature freedom fetish that they think that the government is more interested in them than it actually is that they have this fear of tyranny rising when we all know that it's not going to happen and their concern for what they call freedom. And this is me voicing someone else's opinion here is one getting us killed with respect to the pandemic and two destroying democracy with respect to either the various malevolent actors who are leveraging social media to pollute our society or the malevolent actors who are censoring particular kinds of speech online unless we empower some entity to stop them from doing it. Um, and I, I don't think people imagine that they could be wrong about this or that the government could do bad things because they, they perceive that you know the moral arc is bending towards justice and justice is obviously what they've concluded it is. Um, and therefore, they have nothing to be concerned about. They just need to use power well, for good. Yes. So like you're agreeing with me. I don't know. Lately to me, like the, there's probably a word for this, but the, the like internal contradictions of the left's worldview are just like clashing against each other in just such an incredible way. Like it's like with, it's like race is a construct and yet race is the only thing that matters. Mm. Big tech is evil. And yet all we want to do is, give big tech more power. White people shouldn't gentrify neighborhoods. And yet white people that fled those neighborhoods during the pandemic are evil. The it's like, yeah. which one is it? There's a column in that, Barry. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I can give you nine more examples of that too, if you're looking for column material. Right. Yeah. yeah. My favorite is the, like the one I, that is like so rich to me lately is like, um, when they were trying to go after Alice Roman for shopping at Sahadi's and for using um, spices like harissa or what? Wait, what? what? I swear to God. You didn't see this? Hold on. 
Stand by. Wait, this was like a real human? People got that mad wasn't at just her like for shopping at Sahadi's. Like everyone in the oh, fucking yeah. neighborhood shops at Sahadi's. You, we, if you live in the neighborhood, you shop at Sahadi's because it's great. There's a Sahadi's in Sunset Park now. There's two there Sahadi's. There is, there is. And it's even open a during big, the pandemic. It, yes. It, oh, is it really? Yeah, you, you have a car cars. now, so let's go. Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, exactly. I drove by it today because I was in Sunset Park today with the car. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all in here. This was the article that was shared by like, you know, culture critics at New York Mag and the New Yorker and all, all the stuff. Can I just read the subhead? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Stewed Awakening <laughs> is the name of this piece on Eater. Uh, in this, the age of the global pantry. What? The global pantry. I was going to say global pandemic. In this, the age of the global pantry. Ingredients like turmeric, tahini, and I'm going to mispronounce this, aren't I? Gauchijang? Is that right? Maybe. Have finally shaken off their hitherto exotic status. Don't say hitherto, just say exotic status, you asshole. But it's white cooking personalities like Alison Roman and many of the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen stars who have had viral success using them. Are you fucking kidding me? Whitey, why are you, why are you <laughs> using those ingredients? Don't, don't appropriate our spices. Oh, my God. So, uh, Michael, just scroll down to the uh, paragraph as the culinary has become a marker and just read like a section of that or, see, or the whole see. one. It's f- the... That is really crazy. That piece. I don't know what happened. I don't know. You're wow. afraid. Did you're you, afraid of our I bet truth. You the thing I, sent, though? I bet Cloudflare kicked you off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but did you see what I sent you? Yeah. Did that come through? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it did. You missed, uh, you missed the whole reading thing. of the subhead. Moynihan, yeah, Moynihan yeah. just read the subhead, so we can just pick it up from there. Well, I can pick it up by saying that. declared brilliant by all the by all our, our no intellectual no. Factors. It's absolute nonsense. Not only is it nonsense, sort of the 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 concept of the entire piece but it's written in that really bad academic style which is like shitty postmodernism, but like filtered through eater horrible as the culinary has become a m- marker of contemporary culture what? occupying much of the space once monopolized by music and fashion food media and social media have fused to create a supercharged form of aspirational desire what? within this mode of desire however what? the idea of using new hitherto exotic ingredients only seems to become aspirational when those ingredients appear on the pages of prominent taste-making magazines, what? perhaps more relevantly on Instagram, or espoused by white tastemakers. That is fucking... <laughs> that that is a farrago of bullshit. And by the way, you could do that in seven words. Barry Weiss was my editor when I would write things for the, New York, uh, the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> and the economy of words that that woman was very good at 920 that we gave she could get a complicated concept down to you know 919 that i had presented in 1900 that sentence should have been white people are using spices that they didn't you know normally know about they didn't know about these they're white they went to sahadis Racist. So they have to hide it. They got to dress it up yeah. with all the all the, all the jargon. Why are the white people do using the spices? That's the <laughs> that's the sentence. That's it. That's the sentence. So it's, how dare the white people use the spices? Go back to the white bread. I want you to do yourself a favor, just to you know stoke your rage at some point. Go put that URL into Twitter and see the, the tweets oh no 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 about it. Oh yeah yeah. Well, 
we've talked for two hours and we've, we've gotten into Karen's and Karen's and mostly Karen's. And there's the cold war with China that I know Camille wanted to talk about. I just like how Barry slides into the host role. And properly so. <laughs> properly so. Like she does it every time. And she's exactly right. I, right. I do want listeners I do want listeners to know that I am wearing a paisley moomoo, which does make me feel like <laughs> it's got a Hawaiian vibe for sure. <laughs> the name the name of this episode is Bubby's wearing a moomoo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm home. I'm very tired. <laughs> Nelly's yelling. Oh my god! This is my truth. I love uh, you, Barry. Well, I'm just I, we're, we're towards we're towards the end of this, and I I appreciate you making space for us to to mention the horrible tra- travesty that's taking place in Hong Kong right now. Uh, the Chinese government has apparently run out of all patience before. The pandemic, uh, when I was there in January, the general sensibility was that there was going to be some sort of lull in the protests and the demonstrations, that you very well couldn't bring millions of people into the street um, while the pandemic was going on. And there was some question as to how things would resume, how the pro-democracy movement would reanimate itself um, once the lockdowns ended. Uh, Of course, the lockdowns never really ended. The Chinese government, the CCP, has decided that while the rest of the world is distracted, it will go in and unilaterally impose the various sorts of restrictions on speech um, that they had tried to impose repeatedly through the Hong Kong legislature, through back channels. They're just doing it directly now. They are bypassing the legislature. Um, And over the last couple of days have locked up hundreds of kids. And by kids, I mean people who are, you know, younger than 21 being locked up 400 at a time, which is a pretty big deal in a nation that what Hong Kong, 7 million is the population there. Um, The Hong Kong um, today, Mike Pompeo uh, sent a letter um, to Congress and the letter states explicitly that we no longer believe the United States government that Hong Kong is an autonomous region. This notion of it being a special administrative region of China, of there being, uh, you know, one country with two systems no longer holds Hong Kong is, um, and before I've suggested it, um, but now it is pretty definitive. Hong Kong is a police state um, and the Chinese plan to do whatever they will. um, And, it it remains to be seen what, if anything, the international community will even attempt to do about this, um, let alone can do about this. It is interesting that, you know, the Sino-British Treaty, um, the treaty that was signed when the, the Brits took over Hong Kong, um, expressly protected, um, or at least had the Chinese pledging to protect um, the autonomy of the Hong Kong government and eventually to give them uh, full suffrage, et cetera. Um, at least for a period of 50 years. Uh, again, apparently the Chinese can't wait that long. Um, and it is a travesty. And it is certainly the sort of thing that warrants some attention. And perhaps when the president is finished tweeting out murder mysteries, he can get around to addressing it in a serious way. Um, and maybe maybe other people can as well when they're finished flailing about whatever phony racial panic they can invent for themselves. So there's that wonderfully optimistic note. Thanks for uh, ending it on something that is cheery, Camille. 
I'm sorry. It's fine. I want I want an optimistic fine. perspective on it. I still can't figure out what I even want to happen. There, there. is there isn't one. There isn't one. There isn't one. But it is amazing that the people who believe themselves who think of themselves as being like moral warriors really seem to have nothing to say about any of this. And this, LeBron James. This is the, this is the most important <laughs> moral battle yeah. of our time. Yeah. Without a doubt. No, it is. And and what I what I find most like disturbing about it, I actually just got a chill is the degree to which what they are doing in the streets is meant for us. They do not have an expectation that they can stop the Chinese government by coming out into the streets and and carrying out these peaceful demonstrations for the most part. There are still conflicts with the police, but they're they're mostly peaceful demonstrations, mostly kids being let off into buses, oftentimes being maced and hit in the face and all sorts of other stuff while the press is being pushed back, um, being locked up in many cases, facing indefinite detention without any sort of trial. Like They're doing this for us. And for the most part, we are ignoring them. They're waving U.S. flags at these demonstrations. They're wearing MAGA hats because they want to attract our attention. Um, and for the most part, we're we're just. But too it's occupied. also like it's other shit's going on here, and it's and it's hard. And it's a that that's a feature of protest movements the world around. I remember being in in Serbia in like 1996. They would have Vladi Divac posters because they were hoping <laughs> that you either were a Laker fan or something. Yeah. Um. Uh. And it's like this constant like uh, hoping that the U.S. will bomb somewhere, which is not an option, obviously, in Hong Kong at all. Um, yeah, but it it shows that like there's an expectation here that America will fulfill some role, and the one role that America is not currently fulfilling, yet did back then, uh, in other times, even at times when there was just as little of an opportunity or a likelihood that the U.S. military would get involved, is that what we would do under presidents Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan in particular is we would say we stand morally with this group of subjected people and we mm-hmm. will take their refugees. Um, now we do not make those statements about who we stand with. And we've said, we've we, said we said we stand with them, but we certainly haven't made a pledge to take their refugees. There's been, there's been no, there's been no standing with them. I mean, there's been a, occasional half-hearted maybe, for, for those of us who remember 1980 and 81 and the solidarity movement that there's just not there's no daylight i mean there's nothing but daylight let's say between the way Mm -hmm. that ronald reagan talked about uh people who are protesting the soviet bloc and the way that whoever talks about anything in this administration talks about hong kong but let's be fair like come on remember obama with the green revolution in iran or the would-be revolution like he didn't took him a while to do it oh yeah yeah. um but and and the but the, the the more depressing thing is like we so like Americans have, I think, and maybe this is just me, not me personally, but like my sense of where people are have just, we're so cynical and have so lost faith in our ability to even be, even rhetorically, some kind of beacon that like, it's like they are picking up the flag that we don't even know when we put it down, when they pick it up in, yeah. in the streets of Hong Kong. Yeah. On, on some level, when we see our own politics as a game of when when can I pick up the club and beat you in the face, um, we stop believing 
the uh, shining city on a hill bullshit. Right. And and I say the bullshit with some affection um, as someone who kind of criticized some of the, that aspiration at the time, but also who saw the other side of it, of people who took that seriously. Like there is something to be said about mythology um, and the nods toward the aspirations of it. We don't have those aspirations. They just we don't have them. And we're not going to have them with our crabby, insular, uh, super just like you know, uh, power politics that we have in this country right now. It's 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 done. It's done for a decade. I can't see it coming back. Joe Biden won't bring that back. It's not going to be brought back by whoever the hell picks up the wreckage of the Republican Party or, you know, uh, in 2024, 2028. We're just not there at all as a as a country, as a society. So um, sucks to be someone who before might have thought that we would have uh, cared in some meaningful uh, way, but we don't believe our own mythos anymore. That's not an accident that the new, uh, you know, uh, the new trad cons or the new breed of, of, of uh, anti-tech conservatives or whatever, they want to make sure that you know that they hate Reagan. And I don't say that as someone who loves Reagan, I never did, never voted for him, couldn't, but um, like they hate Reagan. They hate, they hate that rhetoric. They think that's the problem, or at least part of the problem. Um, and so, okay, great. You got the world that we live in now. Great. Sure. That's a it's your fault. mic drop. Great mic drop. It's great mic drop. Um, we are going to end on this, is that uh, a couple of months ago, maybe a couple of episodes ago, I can't remember, but a guy named Spencer, who's a subscriber on the Patreon, who sent us an email about his son, um, who was, I believe three, four or five months old and in the hospital. And he's having a very tough time of things. We talked at some length about him and some other people that were having some tough times around the same time, beginning of the coronavirus stuff. And I just wanted to update people who are not only Patreon subscribers and just say to Spencer, thank you for hanging in there and, and listening to us. And thank you for the update. He just said he wanted to give an update about his son his recovery ended up speedier than anybody anticipated, and his heart Boom. is in the normal function range. Thank you for your kind, kind words, and um, we thank you, Spencer, for updating on the, uh, us on that. And we're happy to hear that uh, the little gremlin is doing great. So that mm. was a good bit of news that we got today. So just good. wanted to add that in there and then say thank you to Barry Weiss, who I will point out, this is how great Barry is after, <laughs> after shiving us humiliating us in the new york times by saying her favorite podcast was something that was made by the center for american progress it was like the nearer tandem happy hour i can't remember what it was but we were forgotten about but she called us up and uh texted us and said i want to come on you guys recording and we said babe for you we'll do whatever so we did this tonight for her and she was great as always thank you barry you're the kings of my heart for the, <laughs> the gender non-binary fluid I'm the, of my heart. I'm the queen of your heart, babe. You are. Nice. You are the queen. Please invite me to a pool in the Hamptons, even the lesser of the Hamptons. Yeah. It's going to be like, you know, the, the, a new one, like, you know, Steve Hampton. It's like not even. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in Long Island in Islip, but his last name is Hampton. It's going to be great. Bye. Bye. We're doing the bye thing. All right, we just did it. Bye. Thank you, Barry. <laughs> bye. bye. We know of new methods of attack. The probe.
Hawk.